what always ends up happening is we start having a conversation right at the beginning and it's like uh, we always said something good and then it's like why are we not recording so sylvie hates me for it but uh, here we are (laughs) (laughs) totally get it hello and welcome to talking too loud with chris savage i'm your host chris savage and i'm here with the one the truly only sylvie lubau producer extraordinaire back at it yeah sylvie we were like ships in the night in Brooklyn last, last weekend. I know. It was so sad. I was like so excited to surprise you. <laughs> I'm sorry that we, we missed you. Um, it's good to see you here on this episode. We have a great guest today, Sonia Thompson, who is an inclusive marketing strategist and consultant. We did a short episode with her at Inbound, brought her back for the full episode. Really interesting episode about inclusive marketing, how to make it work, how not to make it work, why it's beneficial. Then I'll I'll tease it with this. There are some things you need to say no to. Mm. And that's Strong really tease. important. Thank Strong you. Strong tease. Okay. So, yes, we're here talking too loud. Yeah. I got a lot I'm talking too loud about today. You're I've, screaming. You're I've got full too on many screaming. Things. Yeah. <laughs> Give me just one. Oh God. Uh, I mean, I think I have to talk about the offsite because I haven't talked about it on here. But um, we took the it. whole the whole company, as you mentioned, to Austin, and it was just like very. It was a very electric, exciting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all stayed in the same hotel. Um, you know, took over some like <laughs> bars and stuff, and did a series of competitions. Always a competition. A, we did a sugar cube arch building competition. So oh. We broke people into teams. You had to yep. build the strongest sugar cube possible, sugar cube arch with just sugar and, and wood glue. We thought this would take about 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, uh, but the arches were too strong. And <laughs> it took like forever. It took like hours. It was so funny. I'm like walking around commentating <gasps> the entire time. Brendan is putting weights on these arches, just hoping yeah, like, that something's going to break. What could they support? How much weight? Well, so it started with like just bean bags out of the 20. Like it's like one down. Wow. And then we go to like four bean bags and we go around and there's only one more down. So there's like 18 left. And then eventually we're like, we have to ramp this up. So Brendan ended up standing on them. <laughs> and that round of the 18 or so that were left, one survived. One survived? Um, and it did. Sugar held him up. I mean, you know, wow. he's, not, he's not like a tiny little guy. <laughs> anyway, it was super fun, and we went to a ranch. It was very silly. We shot the product spotlight at the ranch, so Brendan and I as cowboys. Oh, my God. I saw. It was a delight. It looked so fun. I saw yeah. some BTS. No. Yes. Behind the scenes. Behind like, the scenes. BTS. BTS. BTS footage. <laughs> and what's got you talking about? It was your trip? What was yeah, it? it? Yeah. I went to Montreal um, for the first time, kind of. Hard to believe, but the story behind that story is that in eighth grade, our class went to Montreal, but I got two N, N in conduct marks. Needs in, needs improvement. In conduct. In conduct. That's why you're on because a podcast I was, now. <laughs> because I was too much of a talker. They say... I still maintain that my science teacher had it out for me and that I really only deserved one in. Wait, so you're saying your whole class went to Montreal, but because you wouldn't shut up, they didn't let you go. Me and all the boys. It was just me and the boys. 
<laughs> so I I took Montreal by storm this <laughs> this past weekend. It's an incredible city. Everyone should go. It's beautiful, great food, so walkable, lots of culture, lots of art. The thing that has me talking the loudest though is I went to one of their like iconic bagel shops. There's mm. a big divide. Montreal bagels versus New York bagels. Mm -hmm. I'm a Montreal bagel lover. Come on. I'm just going to say it. They're better than Over New York New bagels. York? Oh, yeah. You know Big what? Time. You know what they say is true. The grass really is greener. It's you know? greener. You're just a, you're in a sea of New York bagels. But no, Montreal. Well, you know what? My <laughs> issue with New York bagels, they're too big. They're We're gonna too get fluffy. In. We're going to get letters about this, you know. I wanted... <laughs> I wanted something smaller and denser, and I felt seen in Montreal. Well, I thought the old Brooklyn bagel shoppy ye was old. great. Yes. Ye old. Well. It delivered. It delivered. Sure. 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 I don't even care about that anymore. I don't care about these uh, bagels like I, this. I liked feeling included in Montreal. Oh, wow. That's the well, point. you know, it turns out. That sometimes you find the right demographic. You find the people who really want those small, hard, thin bagels. Mm -hmm. You market to them. You might open a new part of your business just by being that much more inclusive. Which brings us to our interview <laughs> with Sonia to really explain how this whole thing works. We'll be back with our interview with Sonia right after the break. Hey, guys, it's me. Frank the Ad Guy. If you're ready to scale in 2024, look no further than HubSpot's Sales Hub, a free CRM tool that lets your team source more leads, deeper customer connections, and close more deals. From a management suite that streamlines your sales process to reporting and analytics tools that forecast revenue, Sales Hub gives you the flow that lets you grow. Learn more at HubSpot.com sales. Looking to harness the power of video for your business? Whether you're hosting webinars, onboarding new customers, or creating a spiffy landing page, video is key to making an impact. And that's where Wistia comes in. With our complete video marketing platform, we help you create, host, and share videos that not only get views, they also get results. And the cherry on top? Wistia's in-depth analytics and handy email forms. They're the perfect tools for lead generation and understanding your audience. So if you're ready to level up your capital V video marketing strategy, head on over to wistia.com slash TTL. That's W-I-S-T-I-A dot com slash TTL. And don't forget to follow at Wistia on social media for more tips, tricks, and video treats. And now back to the podcast. Sonia, so good to see you. Thanks for coming on the show again. Thanks so much for having me. I, we had such a blast last time. I'm glad we can spend some more time together. We did. That was really fun. And for those who don't know, Sonia connected with us at Inbound. We recorded a mini episode of Talking Too Loud, and we're super excited to have you back for the full episode. Now, last time when I asked you what you had you talking too loud, um, it was the Beyonce concert, and uh, you were you were pretty excited. So I, I'm very excited to see what has you talking too loud today. Okay, so I just recorded a podcast episode of this, so I'm actually a little extra fired up about it. 
So I read, <laughs> I, I read an article a couple of weeks ago about the FIFA Women's World Cup and how all the teams in the World Cup decided that the women were no longer going to wear white shorts. And they did this because they realized that there was a lot of period anxiety for women who had to wear white shorts during their cycle. And I was reading it and I was just like, I don't know who ever thought white shorts was a good idea. So my, my mind immediately went to this just really probably means that there haven't been enough women in leadership positions who can make decisions about this. So I went and I did a quick poll in like a group chat and then I went and I put it on Facebook and I was like, hey, ladies, um, sports white shorts your period what's the thought that comes to mind and don't. everybody like don't no. do it nope absolutely not child please like it was just over <laughs> and over and over and over and over again the same thing so the point really for me was like something that is obvious to one group of people can be completely not obvious to other people who don't have the same lived experience so it really just reiterated for me the point that I talk about quite a bit. When brands are working on inclusive marketing, engaging people from underrepresented and underserved communities, we can't diminish the power of having people with lived experiences on your team because having to figure out cultural nuances, things that are obvious to people who are part of these communities, it's just it's just so much easier and a lot less resource intensive um, whenever you include those people versus having to figure it out years, years, years later. I mean, we're in 2023. And we're just now changing this, right? <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah, pretty wild. That's... And I think and I think your point of like there not being enough women in leadership in even women's sports. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of wild to think. That's about. crazy. That was sort of like a double whammy when you said yeah. that. Yeah, because I think even Wimbledon, right? They Wimbledon recently changed this year, right? So mm -hmm. women can now wear dark colored shorts underneath their white uniforms, right? Their white uniforms is still required, but <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Oh man, so okay, we got right in there, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> I want to zoom back for people who don't know you. So okay. you're an inclusive marketing strategist and consultant. There's so yes. much under that umbrella of what you do. Mm -hmm. Can you just tell us a little bit of what your job looks like day to day? And like, is this the type of thing that gets you fired up about your job? Like what gets you excited about it? Yeah, I so overall, my job is to help brands um, reach more people and deliver experiences that make more of the people they serve feel like they belong. So a lot of times brands will focus on um, a very specific customer type, whether it's psychographic, there are some demographics. And while those are important, there are times where the differences that people have makes a, uh, a difference in how they choose which the brands to work with and overall whether or not they feel like they belong. So my role is to help brands be more intentional about making sure that they don't forget about and consider, actively consider people who have differences and making sure that they're incorporating them in their marketing. Now, that doesn't mean like you need to serve everybody with every degree of dimension of diversity. That's it's a big, tall order. But just to be a little bit more intentional about 
who it is that you're serving and who you want to make seen. Um, so I get fired up whenever I see brands or experience it as a consumer myself, whenever brands are really thoughtful. I uh, follow a gluten-free diet for health reasons. Over the weekend, I went to a restaurant and they had gluten-free bread. Um, the number of times that I go to a restaurant and I don't get any bread, like I would say it's 95% of the time, but just the fact that they had gluten-free items on their menu and they that extra detail of they had gluten-free bread made a big difference. And so you're often working with a company that's already realized that they have an issue, right? Like there's something about their marketing that they're realizing, wow, we want to get to this demographic. We don't have either enough representation internally, or we don't have enough of an understanding of the differences. And they go to you and figure that out. Yeah, that's true. And more and more, the way I'm framing it and positioning it, because I think a couple of years ago, during summer in 2020 in particular, there were a lot more brands who started to think about diversity, inclusion, and belonging more at an organizational um, human resources standpoint, not always necessarily connecting the dots. So what that means for marketing. So I think that it's, it's important for people to have that realization that they need to do a better job in this area but I also spend a lot of time just educating people in general on what is the impact on overall growth, conversions, et cetera, by not thinking about this or considering it more as a nice to have versus this is the way business is moving and the way marketing mm. should be done. Yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking about because I think a lot of people probably have no idea of what they're missing out on, right? Because like yeah. you might look at some segment that's converting at a high rate and think, oh, this is our best customer segment. But then mm -hmm. actually, if you're turning another segment off or not turning them on, right, you're, you're missing the opportunity in a big way. And that might not, the, you know, missing a missing, uh, what's that? Like a, a false, a false negative. Sometimes it's harder to see, right? Than Absolutely. A false positive. Absolutely. So I, I spoke at a, a virtual conference a couple of years ago. And as I was looking through the Twitter mentions or the X mentions afterwards, it was Twitter at that point. Um, this woman said, man, this is a great conference. I don't know if I should feel offended by this, what she said or not. But um, she's like, this is a great conference. And up until I heard Sonia speak, I felt invisible um, at this conference because um, all the speakers seem to be in their 20s or early 30s, right? And she's like, I want people to understand that ageism exists, right? Like, and especially in the digital marketing space. I don't know how old she was, but she she loved the conference. She loved the content, but she felt invisible by who was being presented. And so just think if she saw another conference offering similar things, but they had more of that representation she's going to go to the people who make her feel not invisible. That the makes, bar yeah. for some of this stuff is also like, it's sad how low it is to your yeah. point of like, like that's what I think is like kind of so shocking is that it's like, yes, just having a difference, even in people's ages of who's presenting is going to matter. It does. It does. Which, you know, sometimes I think like people People feel like it has to be a, a major overhaul. And you do. You want to have an inclusive mindset. But like it doesn't mean that you need to make entirely different campaigns for every consumer. Sometimes small tweaks, small adjustments in what you're already doing can make a really big difference. Yeah. I feel like like 
homogeny, I don't know, like it feels like contagious in like a bad way. You know, you're talking about sort of like little tweaks that brands can inject to to get into that more inclusive mindset. Are there things that like you say to brands, like here's a great like sort of starting off point, like here's how you can kind of like take an inventory of where things are at? For sure. Um, so there's a couple of different angles, um, but really the wonderful starting point is to think through who is it that you want to serve and be intentional about choosing, right? So I have a friend who who lives in Canada, who lives in Montreal, and in Quebec, the official language is both English and French. And I learned this the hard way. I did an internship in Montreal and got a parking ticket my first day because I couldn't read the signs because they were all in French. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he was starting this podcast. He speaks both English and French. But I remember we were talking. He's like, this podcast is only going to be in English. I don't have the resources to make this available in both languages right now. He's a, it's a, um, an army of one in his company right now. And he just didn't have the resources. And I think a lot of times people feel like they need to include everyone, but really I want you to focus on who are the identities that you want to be intentional about making sure feel like they belong with you. That doesn't mean that if you focus on people who um, have disabilities, um, people of color and people who are above 45, that doesn't mean if you're intentionally including them that you are excluding everybody else. It just means that you're putting effort into making sure that those people feel like they belong and you're able to focus your intention and your effort and your resources a lot better and deliver, you know, experiences that make them feel seen and like you understand them. That is like, so it's very, there's something different about how you're saying that, I think, which is um, like really resonating with me in terms of its like approachability. Because I think a lot of times, what we're talking about before, you look at a situation, you're like, I have to do this for every single person yeah. on planet Earth. And you're like, and then yeah. you're like, I'm nowhere close. Like, you try your yeah. best and you're at like 2%. Yeah. Versus this point of saying, okay, we need to be really intentional. Who is the demographic that we want to reach that we're not, that we should be? They should yeah. be customers. They should be community members. They should be employees, whatever the thing is. Like, um, match to the product that you're selling and then say, let's really work hard to make sure those people feel included. And what does that take? And it's, you can make actual progress against that versus like, if you, you know, to your language examples, like, well, does this podcast need to be available in every language on earth? Cause if it does, we're, we're, we're screwed, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. but if we looked at it, we're like, actually there's a big audience of people who would listen to this in Spanish. Like we should figure out how to do that. And that's going to be worth it. And we're going to look at who the customer base and who the audience is and who's commenting and all these different things to figure that out. But it's just very different intentional way of looking at it that I think like, because we want to morally do the right thing too. And I think yeah. that's where people have a lot of trouble drawing a line when you're doing something for moral reasons. Right. It becomes very hard to know when to stop because it's like, shouldn't I, am I there yet? You know? Right. Because there's always going to be somebody who feels left out. That's not your intention, but it's just, unless you've got an unlimited budget, like I talk about um, different um, brand personality types, like, and there are some brands where that makes sense for them. And that is their intention to serve everyone. So Rihanna, for instance, the different brands that she has, Fenty Beauty, she's got um, a lingerie brand. She is very clear in her marketing 
We are for everyone. We want everyone to feel beautiful, everyone to feel sexy, everyone to have great and glowing skin. She's got a, a skincare line as well. They also have a budget that allows them to do those different things, right? But they're very intentional. That's not for every brand, right? So it's just a matter of thinking through what makes the most sense for you and the values that you have. Go, going back to your friend who's a podcaster in Montreal, and I was like nodding enthusiastically as you were talking about Montreal because I was just there and had a very interesting conversation about the sort of like French and English dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so that example was just like, blah, serendipity. <laughs> like I feel it. <laughs> but my question is, so for him, when he said, I don't have the resources to make this podcast in French, are you like find those resources or you like that's cool because you don't have a French target audience like I guess it kind of goes back to Savage's question too and like weighing morality and knowing your audience like what is your advice so just because you make a choice today of this is who we have the capacity to serve right now with our existing resources doesn't mean that you won't be able to serve a group in the future. As I look at his social media, I see that sometimes he does have French content on social media, right? And so there are evolutions and progress that you can make over time. Um, finding the resources, like, I think that's, it's it's a tough thing to say, right? Um, you want people to be inclusive. I am a ch- the biggest champion of um, inclusive marketing, But such a hallmark of inclusive marketing is choice. So you have the ability to choose who you want to serve the same way you have the ability to choose who you don't want to serve. As a consumer, I may not like it, but how I'm going to choose what I'm going to do about it by choosing to spend my money elsewhere, right? Um, You know, I've heard my, my, my sister. I've had some conversations with her about this and she's talked about like frustration that she's had whenever she's going um, to buy clothes and they only have a certain size range and they don't cater to people who don't fit into a size um, 10 or six or, or eight, right? Those companies are making a choice to, you know, not be as size inclusive as they can be. Does that mean that they're terrible companies? We don't know all the reasons in the background why yes. they're making that choice. <laughs> However, consumers aren't left without choices in a lot of instances, and they just choose to spend their money elsewhere. If I am mad that company or that restaurants don't have more options for gluten-free people, I can be frustrated and mad all day, but the way I'm going to express my frustration is through credit card activism. And that's by spending my money with people yeah. who have taken the time to see me. So it's a choice, right? And so we have to live with the consequences of our choices. And I think hearing that and saying it back from like the business side, it's like, yes, you don't have to do this, but someone else will yeah. and they're going to take the business. So right. it's like, right. it's like you want to make more money? Like you want more customers? <laughs> yeah. Like 
then like, you know, reach a larger group of customers and speak to them and talk yeah. to them in a, in a way that they understand, right? Because as yeah. a consumer, you have a choice, but like from the business side, if you're missing out on this. And so it's just make, and maybe that's okay because you don't have the resources to like maintain and deliver on the promise. But if you do, it's you're making a, a choice to, to miss out. Yeah, so a great example of how this has played out where the choice wasn't necessarily a resource thing. They just chose to ignore a group. All right, so we mentioned Rihanna before. When Rihanna launched Fenty Beauty, she launched with 40 shades of complexion to accommodate people with different complexions all over the world. Previously, there were beauty brands who had makeup, who had the opportunity to do this. I'm sure there are plenty of people who were vocal about wanting these makeup options, but they were just never provided. What happened after Fenty Beauty launched with these 40 shades of makeup? 40 shades of makeup became the new standard for all these makeup companies. Why? Because they saw how many consumers were buying, like they saw suddenly the business opportunity that was there and they changed their ways, right? So they made a choice previously. Then they saw from a business standpoint, ooh, this, this choice is bad for us. Let us get in line with what the market is saying they want. Yeah, I think it's also interesting because that also, you know, if you're buying from a brand that's supposed to be an innovator and they weren't early yeah. on this, that's another signal that they're not an innovator. I mean, I think that's like another like way of thinking about it, right? Like you, yeah. if someone's practically switching brands um, because now they feel like they can get the makeup that actually matches their skin tone, that makes them feel really happy and all this other stuff, they switched. Yeah. They're exploring somebody else. And I think yeah. it's like, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's very interesting to talk about it this way because I do think it is, it is always tied into resources, like, right? Like it's tied into how fast you're hiring and how many people you have and how much budget you have to make different variants of the messaging you're putting out into the world and all that kind of stuff. But like, you know, there's another way of looking at it, which is like you're making the business case and saying, hey, we do this. We are going to get more customers. They're going to be hopefully different than the customers we're getting today. And it's going to be a good return. And the downside is there too. And I think it's just, um, I don't know. I think there's something about that that makes it more approachable, easier to understand how to attack yeah. the problem, you know? Yeah. yeah. It makes a big difference once people understand like you have that power to choose and to hopefully use your power accordingly. Um, because it's no matter what you choose, you're going to have an impact. But I think that part of the bigger issue in inclusive marketing is that people aren't choosing. They're just saying, we're for everyone. Of course, you're welcome here. Of course, you belong here. And because they're not choosing specifically, they are losing a lot of people who obviously don't feel that way. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting because that's what's happening. You're, you know, you're saying you're for everyone, but then I imagine the issue is like, you're not delivering on the promise. And right. so it's like, you say for everyone, like, oh, you are? And then you come in, you're like, oh, you're not. Yeah. And now I'm pissed because I wasted yeah. time. Yeah. And you just broke a promise. So right. it's like, uh, yeah. It does seem really, I mean, I, you know, I was going to ask you a question about what do you think the biggest myth with inclusive marketing is? And I'm wondering if this is like linked to that almost of like, well, I'm, I'm interested to hear your answer, actually. Do people just think that they should just do inclusive marketing and then they don't deliver on it? Or is there something else we haven't even gotten to yet that's like a, a bigger myth in the space? So I would say the biggest myth is probably that they feel like it means they have to serve everyone. And as a result, they just never really get started with it. 
Um, and another one I would say is that they don't necessarily understand, like they feel like it's the, the right thing to do. It's like the moral thing to do, but they don't really understand that there are actual business implications and business results tied to it. Mm. So you're saying they make the moral argument, don't make the business argument, and then maybe don't even deliver on that or like versus yeah. like actually saying this should get us a different segment of customers, which should mean more customers, more revenue, more money, better return. Go out and do that and make it work. Keep going until it works versus just like, you know, having it appear as though you're inclusive, but you're not actually delivering. Right. So I think the moral argument is a good one, but from thinking about it from a business standpoint, the moral argument gets put on the back burner and gets forgotten about the minute your other business priorities pop up. So right. you don't ever tie it to very clear business results and business outcomes. Um, then whenever it's not convenient, it will just sort of be forgotten about. And we've seen this play out over the past couple of years in particular. And it's not that the business results or implications weren't ever there. It's just that people never connected the dots. And so the business um, rigor, the business thought behind it never happened. It was just, we should be doing this. <laughs> yeah. It made me think of another question. Um, I feel like it's really easy to see the benefit of inclusive marketing in B2C. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, it's so clear. Like, especially when you were talking about like Fenty, I was like, Oh my God, 100%. Yeah. But in B2B, I guess my question is like, where are the pitfalls? Like, where is there not inclusive marketing happening? And where should there be more inclusive marketing happening? Yeah, so I think that, that people forget that with B2B, we're still talking about people. Um, and people make a lot of decisions based upon how they feel, right? Um, and people don't necessarily compartmentalize differences in how they're making decisions. So we met um, each other at the inbound conference, right? So I consider that a very B2B environment. HubSpot had done a really wonderful job of making that conference inclusive on a number of fronts. And it made me think differently um, about what other businesses are able to do, because once people see um, businesses doing really well at being inclusive, it just becomes their standard. They're not thinking, oh, this is B2C. Oh, this is B2B. Like they're not separating it. It just becomes their standard of this is the way that business should be done. So if you don't sort of adjust your way of operating to the way that people are coming to expect. It doesn't really matter what environment it is. The impact is going to be the same. So I remember um, I had a bank. They called themselves like the most convenient bank, right? And I remember that I interacted with a brand from a business standpoint and I loved it. They're like, oh, you're on hold. We'll hold your place online. We'll call you back. You know, like from a service standpoint, it was super easy to be able to interact with them um, in whatever different manners. I thought this is amazing. This is wonderful. I feel seen. They thought about me in terms of just my time, et cetera. 
And then I went and I called my bank and I was on hold for like 30 minutes. There wasn't a way to, for me to chat with them. Like it was just cumbersome and not convenient at all. And I was really annoyed by it because I had experienced a different standard in a different area. I wasn't thinking, oh, well, this is the industry standard here. It's this technology exists. People have found a way to do it here. Why haven't we found a way to do it in in all of these um, locations? So customers aren't really like thinking this only exists in one place. Yeah, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah, we talk about this a lot on the show in terms of like people are people, B2B marketing yeah. is marketing to people. And you're saying, I, I love that thinking about that I was like, they're not turning it off. Yeah. Right. So if you're having all these B2C yeah. experiences, they're not turning it off when they go to the B2B experience. To your point, you're like, well, no, it's still there, which is why it's like a delightful experience when someone does deliver on it. Yeah. And it's like unexpected, but um, it's it's just because we're we're humans. And that I think that's very easy for people to understand. <laughs> But easy to miss, which is like yeah. B2B always sounds like rational. But the truth is, like even B2B, the best product does not always win. Right. It's about distribution, right? It's about it's about partnerships. It's about relationships. It's yeah. about trust, all these other things that end up driving success with a product and a company. And a lot of those other things, there's like people at the heart of them. And so I think it makes a lot of sense that like getting that right and thinking about that really does have a big impact and it's kind of silly to ignore it. For sure. For sure. Okay. I want to kind of ask this question as a way of summing up some of the things we've been talking about. But okay. if if everyone really started investing in inclusive marketing, I think we can agree that users would benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think brands would really benefit? What does that look like when everyone's really investing? I think they would find that Overall, their teams would be able to do produce better work. I believe that they ultimately would have a greater degree of loyalty because whenever brands are in- inclusive, it it hits a different sort of more emotional response from people that connects the brand at a deeper level. Because especially if you are from a community that you are accustomed to not being seen whenever somebody does take the time to see you, like you latch on to them and, you know, you end up spending with them over and over and over again. And you tell your people, because generally people from underrepresented and underserved communities hang out with people who were like them. So the minute they find something that works well, they go off and they tell all their friends and then everybody kind of latches on for that. Um, I think that brands will also find that there is a big spillover effect with being inclusive. I think sometimes they think, oh, well, this is really just a niche audience. It's not that many people. But I think that they underestimate sometimes that niche consumers are often the lead consumers. So I mentioned the fact that I'm, I'm gluten free. Whenever I go out to eat with anybody who's not gluten-free, I'm the one who gets to choose the restaurant. I'm the one who has the most influence on where we go eat. If it doesn't work for me, we don't go, right? Like, But if it does work for me, it's included in the option. So um, last year, we went, um, we do it on a family reunion to New Orleans, and there were 14 of us in 
two of us were gluten-free and we only went to restaurants that had good gluten-free menus. So, you know, we were the lead there. And I think that a lot of brands just don't realize that people who've got these differences want to make sure that they feel included as well. So there's, there's a big spillover effect that will impact um, their conversions and their loyalty over time. Yeah, I, I love that example, I think, also, because we've been talking also on the show a lot about the fact that in the world that we're in, you know, everyone's niche is like getting into the niche of like where people actually hang out and who their community is is so important because it's it's so hard to break through now, right? Like the way you break through is by being hyper specific. And what you're yeah. describing is like the experience of, yeah, if you're hanging out with a bunch of people who your friends go to you and say, we're only going to go to a place if Sonia we'll eat there. If there's yeah. food for her, then, yeah. you know, but also I imagine you probably have some friends who are gluten-free and like you trade like ideas of like places to go and things that are good. Constantly, constantly. My sister's also gluten-free and like she's, we're constantly sending screenshots and links of like, look what I found, look what I found, or this restaurant was great. I think it's such a good example of just how people actually, how word of mouth works, which is like, you find really specific things that you share with others. And then when you have that experience, it's like, oh my gosh, this gluten-free place is amazing. And for me, it's like, oh, this dairy-free ice cream, Van Leeuwen's incredible. You're going to love it. You got to try it. You yeah. just like- Actually, that, yes. Their chocolate, very Incredible, good. incredible. Very Don't even good. get me started on the peanut butter cookie honeycomb thing, okay? Whatever that is. <laughs> um, but I think it's like this idea of it's all it's all fitting together, which is, you know, if you want to if you want to market to this group that you're not marketing to yet and you start to actually do it the, if you are actually successful and deliver they're going to talk to other people exactly as you're saying and that is how you build word of mouth too and so i think it's in the world we're in today you know socials change so much and where we find stuff has changed so much and so i do think tapping into those those niches those communities of word of mouth is really important i think that's like another angle on this that's like Real, almost easy to miss, which is like, hey, this is not just about someone comes to your website and now they feel like they're seen. It's like yeah. they come to your website, they feel like they're seen, it's delivered on it. And then they tell the other people who are also going to feel seen, yeah. like this is a great experience and it adds up to a big impact. Absolutely. Um, and it's where everything's going. So it just, yeah, strong agree from over here. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, got, I started to get so passionate. I was on my own soapbox. <laughs> Sonia... Thank you so much for being here with us today. This has been really great. Thanks so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. I think I talked quite loud with you also, hopefully. Yes, no, it, just, it just happens. It just happens. Where can people best connect with you to learn more? Uh, inclusionandmarketing.com. There you can find the podcast. You can find resources. And um, if you want to join the email list, I have a newsletter, Inclusion and Marketing, that goes out every week. So yeah, all things Inclusion and Marketing. Awesome. That's awesome. We'll be back after the break. Hey guys, it's me again. Frank the Ad Guy. And one of the shows on the HubSpot Podcast Network that I'm talking too loud about these days is My First Million. Hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Puri, this podcast feels like an ode to entrepreneurship even when there's failure. After having built successful businesses themselves, Sam and Sean brainstorm new business ideas and give you the tools to help you turn your idea into a reality. Check it out at hubspot.com slash podcast network 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, back to the show. That was cool. I mean, I know we've hit this point like five times in the interview itself, but I think it is a really interesting point, which is just like if you try to be everything to everybody, it's not going to work. It's the same thing here. You try to be everything to everybody on an inclusivity front. You don't actually deliver. It's it's going to have the opposite effect, right? So you need to actually deliver. You need to be clear and say what you're for and what you're not for. And I think that is like marketing advice as old as time, but I've never heard it about this. I've never heard yeah. about inclusive marketing. I thought just thought it was very interesting. And also you could see how, you know, pretty quickly, if you pick a dimension, let's say age, mm-hmm. and there really should be a different experience in your product in some way, and you're not actually delivering on that, someone's going to notice like pretty quickly. And they're going to feel like, hey, this isn't for me. And so it's being clear about that, being upfront, setting those expectations, I thought was just a very helpful way of thinking about this. Totally. And also, I liked this idea that like inclusivity is iterative, like it can evolve. And so maybe the things that you are really doubling down on today, that's what you have the resources to do. That's great. But it might look different five years from now. So even being in touch with like your dream scenario as a brand about the types of people that you can reach one day, like... That's important because maybe you'll have more money in the future, right? Absolutely. I feel like there's an example that for some reason that just made me think of, which is, you know, if you can afford to translate your app into another language, mm-hmm. but then you can't do support in that other language, you can't do sales in that language, you're not also giving people other ways of to message uh, or pay through different forms of currency, you don't have the same hours, like very quickly, someone's going to understand that there's an issue. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a budget, you do it, you open that up that geography, you're going to be more inclusive. You're also going to get more revenue. And I think mm-hmm. that we don't always think about those things as linked, I think, to Sonia's point, because often it's like a moral argument for why people want to do more inclusive marketing. Right. But when you do think about them being linked, that you moral can be more clear business, about having, yeah. yeah, you have the budget. You have the resources. You say, I'm going to go do this. Totally. You expect to get impact, which also means if you don't get impact, you figure out where the issue is and you keep iterating and pushing on it, which is a different approach and I think a very thoughtful approach. And obviously when it's working, it's going to be incredibly easy to sustain because you have more customers, more revenue to actually fuel the ability to continue that investment. Yeah. And whether you're B2B or B2C, you're still marketing to people and people make decisions based on how they feel. Make them feel seen. Make them feel seen. Make them feel heard. Make them feel listened to. Mm. And if you're still listening (laughs) or you're watching, we'd love if you could rate and review the show wherever you listen to it. That'd be fantastic. Um, If you have ideas, guests you think we should have on the show, a lot of the guests we're booking these days are people that you told us about. We want to hear from you. Who do you think should be on Talking Too Loud? You can always email us at ttlpod at wissy.com. You can contact Sylvia and I both on LinkedIn, X, that's basically it, and or email. Our emails are out there. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Um, <laughs> and that's it. Thank you so much. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. 
This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.